0: The better question, though, is not what we can do about inflation, but how we can harness it so that we can reduce inequality. And the answer there is accept that we need to have some real wage growth for everybody's benefit.
1: Hello, this is the weekly TradeCast, a podcast brought to you by UNCTAD, the UN's trade and development body. I'm Sarah Toms. We're exploring how major events are shaping trade and development and how that affects billions of people around the world. Welcome to the second episode of our two-part look at inflation. Last week, we talked about why rising prices can be good, bad, and ugly with UNCTAD economist, Jeronim Capaldo. This week, we're looking at the steps being taken now to contain inflation and how new ways of thinking and acting could work better. Jeronim joins us again to reflect on the realities and share some solutions to help preserve the positive aspects of inflation and promote greater equality. Welcome back, Jeronim. Central banks obviously have been raising interest rates to try and rein in the cost of living. What are the consequences of higher rates for businesses and consumers?
0: That's a very important question. It's not obvious that central banks have raised rates to rein in prices because this bout of inflation has had very much to do with international prices, which are outside the control of central banks. It's not clear that they really thought that they could do something about it. But as the saying goes, when all you have is a hammer, everything you see is a nail. And so what they can do is effectively set interest rates. Then they try to use them. So they did. And that hasn't had the results that many hoped for because it didn't. Fortunately, it did not slow down the economy so much as to generate price decreases. But that policy is really shedding light on a conflict that we cannot avoid, which really plays out in every economy, but it's very clear in advanced economies. So when we have high inflation, we know that there is a trigger and an opportunity for workers to try and get higher nominal wages so that they can preserve their purchasing power. But then what happens is that that might trigger inflation, not always. But when that triggers inflation, the central banks raises interest rates. Now, it's not only a problem for consumers and households who have to um, get a mortgage at a higher rate and and have to face more expensive credit. It's also an enormous problem for everyone who holds fixed income investments which are typically a very small minority of the population who who is typically very well off. Now, these people, when interest rates rises, see their fixed income assets lose values at a quite staggering pace. And that generates a lot of pressure on the part of one part of the financial industry against these policies. Of course, it's very hard to choose a priori where monetary policy should go, but one thing we know is that with inequality at the unsustainable levels that we observe today we do need to preserve some inflation to allow wages to gain some of the ground they've lost and in some of the most advanced economies of the world in the last 30 years workers have lost something like 10% of total income and have seen that accrue now to profits where before it accrued to to wages and th- this puts tremendous pressures on people's livelihoods and it gives tremendous power, some sort of monopoly power to the owners of capital and skews effectively the management of the economy in their favor in a way that is not possibly sustainable. Now, going back to interest rates have to do with this, they end up tilting the, the scale in one direction or another. And so central banks do face pressure in all sorts of directions. But the question we should train our eyes on is really not how to eliminate inflation completely, but how to make sure that inflation remains at a sustainable level so that wages can start gaining a little bit of the ground lost over over the past years. If that's what inflation is allowing us to do, well, that's good. That's social progress. Otherwise, it might just be another handout to the owners of financial assets.
1: You mentioned wages, but what about unemployment? That also feeds into inflation, doesn't it?
0: The saying goes that it's employment, excessive employment, but I believe there's no such thing as excessive employment. In some of the um, stories that are told about inflation, there is this idea that every economy faces a wall of maximum capacity, maximum employment that it can tolerate, past which all you have is inflation. You don't get any increase in production or productivity or growth or, or economic progress in general. Now, the fact is that that wall doesn't, exist in our view. And we we believe our studies are very conclusive in showing this is not the case. And it's not just our studies. There's plenty of evidence. So in fact, you can move the um, productive limit of every economy over time if you don't do it too abruptly. And so you can generate as much employment and production as you want without generating massive inflation. Of course, what is important to realize is that In the eyes of the standard central banker, in fact, that is exactly the trade-off. And that is a major difference that exists between that view and our view. In the eyes of the standard view of monetary policy is one in which central banks can choose and governments can choose between a little extra employment or a little extra inflation. And if they want a little extra employment, they're going to have to face a little extra inflation. There's a trade-off between the two. That's very much not the case. And we think this is very much disputed by data of the at least the last several decades. But it's a view that resists in the debates, and it keeps motivating some of these policy choices. And certainly, has completely occupied the space that in fact should be occupied by a discussion on inequality.
1: With so many governments, companies, and households having to make so many hard choices at the moment, what are the solutions to help bring down inflation?
0: It's a very country-specific problem, but there's at least, well, a couple of things we can do. In developed countries, when we realise, if we accept that the the root of inflation has to do with energy and food prices, well, then we've got to do something about the freedom of energy and food producers to set the prices that they want. No one says it is a fundamental right of theirs to set the prices they want. Once they have the ability to command prices that are strategically important for everybody and they can do so in conditions of very much monopoly, well, then their power should be restricted for the common good. And... This wasn't a very popular view for a very long time, but I think we're all realizing it's time to go back to the social function of some parts of the productive system. There's there's no escape from that. For developing countries, things are trickier because their ability to conduct independent policy is, is much more limited compared to developed countries. Very much so because of their inability to control the exchange rates and their dependence in that sense, but also because many of them depend on imports that have a lion's share in their economy. And controlling the prices, this things is, is very complicated, but what they can do for sure is also to use their tools of domestic policy to avoid liberalizing and freeing those sectors even more so that they completely lose control over it. It's very often not really within their ability to do that, because they suffer tremendous pressures from abroad. But to the extent that they can, that's an entirely reasonable approach to take. But to control their import expenses, that's something we all can do as, as an international community organizing in the multilateral institutions such as the IMF, what we can do is to decide that we have to establish those mechanisms that allow them to control exchange rates and other cases to control energy imports, but also get a higher cut of their energy exports for the countries that do have them. I think a better question though is not what we can do about inflation, but how we can harness it so that we can reduce inequality. And the answer there is accept that we need to have some real-wage growth for everybody's benefit.
1: Okay, so what lessons have we learned from this crisis that could help the world prevent or at least cope better with big spikes of inflation in the future?
0: I'm not convinced that we've learned much. If I look at the policy responses today, uh, they, they are very much the policies res- responses that, that we had mm, many years ago especially when it comes to inflation. But there is a budding debate that recognizes the importance of not letting some prices be freely set by the very large, powerful players in those key markets. Energy and food are are typical, but the financial industry is another part. So now, compared to the 1980s or the 1970s, Now we are facing an economy where market power in very key markets is much more concentrated than it was. And that effectively makes policy decisions very much influenced by a handful of corporations and individuals. And that makes it very hard to make sure that policies, in fact, respond to the needs of the many and not those of the few. And this is something where we're going to have to resolve.
1: Thanks for that, Jeronim. And that was economist Jeronim Capaldo from UNCTAD's Globalization and Development Strategies Division. Tune into to the weekly Tradecast next week and every week for more insights on the most pressing issues around the world of trade and development. There's even more on our website, unctad.org. I'm Sarah Thomas in Geneva. Goodbye for now.